Welcome to the Quality Meet Scotland podcast. Industry updates and best practice to promote, support, develop and protect the Scottish red meat sector. Hello and thanks very much for choosing to listen to this. I'm Mark Stephen. In this series, we're focusing in on costs and how to reduce them. So in this episode, we're discussing outwintering and how to reduce your winter feed bills looking at the pros and cons and offering some advice on how best to approach it. Stuart Mitchell farms with his parents at Whitrigs near Denham and the Borders. A few years ago, they took part in the Monitor Farm programme and now they run organic cattle and a herd of deer. They also do some arable, mostly sold for the milling market. Colin McPhail is an agribusiness consultant with farming clients across the UK. He farms on the island of Mull, where he has over 1,000 blackface ewes and 60 suckler cows on 6,500 acres of hill ground. Colm's actually one of the people who facilitated the Monitor Farm Programme at Whitrigs. Stuart, I'm going to start with you. I mean, give me some context. Just describe your farm to me. So Whitrigs is joined to Denham Hill Farm that we bought recently, or 20 years ago. In total, there's 440 hectares, ranging from 500 feet to 1,400 feet. Quite clay Wet ground, a bit drier as we get further up the hill. 75% of it's plowable. 50 hectares of arable rotation, and then the rest's into grassland or things like that. So that's what you've got to work with. How did you used to farm before you made the changes? So we used to house our, all our cattle for six months. Uh, each winter, basically in the uh, beginning of November until middle of uh, or late April, everything was weaned at housing uh, and then brought in and straw was carted in all summer or all back in. Silage was put into two big pits and a mixer wagon at each farm. We thought we were doing fairly well, but the costs were just getting out of control, really. And what system are you employing now? Almost all of our cows are outwintered on our hill with bale grazing. It's all hay. The hay, make five foot bales of hay, putting a line across our hill, and then from 1st of December until 10th April, the cows get a bale a day in whatever deferred grass there is by strip grazing it. It keeps all the cows out there, and there's a bit of shelter for them. It means the tractor is doesn't leave the farm steady in the winter as all the bales are out there already. It also means you're not cutting up the ground at the same time. Yeah, it's all all the the winter tractor work is all done in the middle of summer when the ground's dry. Colin, at the start of the Monitor Farm Programme, I know that the community group decided on a vision to, and I'm quoting here directly, maintain a profit in a challenging environment. Now, with that in mind, what was your original advice? Well, I think with any farm, you've got to look at resources that you've got. And, you know, with Whitrigs and Denham Hill, we had the hill, which we weren't really using. The costs for the cattle were high, you know, and I think Stuart will admit that he was well, spent most of August hauling in straw. So, you know, the bonus of the monitor farm was with it, you've got a lot of knowledge in the, in the management group. And we looked at how we're really good at how we could change the system to make it, you know, a more sustainable and resilient business. And the cattle and outwinter was part of that. And to be honest, I think probably Stuart's mindset and his ability to change and look at alternatives was the most important part of it. But ultimately, we took the resources we had at, at um, Whitrigs and Denham Hill and looked at how we could you know, cheapen the winter. Not every farm can do that. 
we just looked at what we had and how, how we could make best use of it. To be honest, it's been driven by Stuart with just the backup of the man, you know the management group and the support of us as facilitators. But you know, I think we'll probably want to talk about it. But we certainly um, reduced the wintering costs significantly, and and made the, you know the cattle now sustainable and also to probably in the labour is is um, fuel labour all the things that have come since the monitor farm to you know to be an issue in the industry or kind of. Luckily, we've been kind of ahead of the curve a wee bit on that. And now we're not, as Stuart said, we're not using the tractor during the winter. The work's done in the summer and just probably make the system a little bit easier. I'm sure everything varies from farm to farm, but in in terms of general principles, how do you go about moving to outwintering? I mean, how do you you prepare for that? I'm sure it's not just a case of pulling a switch. No, absolutely. You've got to have it well planned out. And I think with any system change, reducing costs, there's no quick way of doing that if you're changing the system you've got to plan for it and Stuart will probably speak a little bit about that you know going organic and get set up for it plan it out and make sure your you know your basics and the foundation um building blocks are in place in terms of things like soil ph and you know the soil organic matters make sure that your that your farm's prepared and you know what you're going into really so it just it very much depends on the the farm mark, but it's about getting your ducks in a row before you, you know, you set off and change your system. And also, too, I think if we go looking back as well, if you've got to know what your costs are in your current system, because actually you might be doing quite a good job in your current system. Did you know, Stuart, what your costs actually were at the time? How accurate was that information? We didn't before the monitor farm. We we didn't know how much our costs were. We knew how much our bills were, but we didn't know everything put together uh, and worked out as a, a pound per cow per week. But yeah, we figured through benchmarking and things, we've uh, worked that out and then realised what it was when it was in the shed and then what it was going to be that winter by outwintering on the first year. Could you put a value on that? I mean, what's the difference between then and now? Yeah, so then it was um, £11 per week to keep a cow inside. Uh, and outwintering was £3.90. So it was pretty much slashing it uh, down to a third of the cost. That's pretty remarkable. And how long, I mean, what Colin was talking about in terms of preparing, getting your ducks in a row and what have you, how long did it take you to do that? Because I'm sure one of the big problems is you, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Um, so it, it took basically a summer to figure out that we were going to do it outside and yeah quite a lot of research quite a lot of youtube and then just having it so we knew what each cow would take each day the first winter it lasted about two and a half months and then the next winter it was yeah it was basically all winter so it just takes that first year to know what you want and then to see where you actually are and how to do it better for the next year and what impact does it have? I mean, possibly you can answer this, Colin. But what impact does it have on things like animal health if they're if they're being outwintered? Um, well, it depends on you've got to the right cow type, I suppose, and um, that's quite important. But yeah, the cows are happy outside, and I think the weather, as Stuart said, it's got a little bit of shelter, and they've seemed very content. You know, I know certainly at home we outwinter our cows, we always have done, and they're Highland um, cross shorthorn cows, and they do well. I mean, most cows in our climate will do well outside as long as they're the right type. Cow size is quite important as well. You know, breeds are not are not too big, but Stuart's cows 
Well, they mostly be short run cross Angus cross now, Stuart. Yeah, short run cross Angus is they need a bit of, a bit of hair on them, but they don't need like too much. A short run of Angus is quite capable of being outside. The cattle are a lot fitter, like physically fitter by walking up and down the hill every day. Um, and so there's a lot less problems when it comes to calving at the end of the winter. Do you also reduce infections by outwintering them? Yes. I don't know whether it's just a fluke, but the, since we've outwintered, the group of cows that are outwintered have never had an abortion, whereas we used to have three or four every year. Is that normal, Colin? You know, that if, if they're outwintering, they're healthier, you know, you use fewer medicines? I would say probably yes. You know, they're not in, con- in close contact with infection. Um, I think it's just as outwintered cows, yeah, they probably are fitter and they're getting more exercise um, and it's just a cleaner environment. But, you know, I think on saying that, you know, you've got to make sure that they are well looked after outside, well fed and sure that it's not, you know, it's, if it gets poached, you've got to be careful and just move them on. You know, we've certainly done it on the other monitor farm in the Lothians where we went to some cows in a stubble field and, yeah, sometimes they looked like they were, um, you know, we had the public had phoned up a couple of times concerned about them, but the cows were, were really happy and they'd straw to lie on the stubble field. So, um, I think it's to know what you're looking at and just uh, monitor the system. But I think, you know, generally they do pretty well outside. What I would say was the way we're doing it with the hay on deferred grass, the cows are moved every day. And so the, the, all, they're never really poaching the ground because they're always on a thick mat of grass. And then they stay there for that day. And then the next day they're moved on to more fresh grass that's got a thick mat. So they're not, they're never really pacing back and forward or trying to sit in the same place every day. And they're not, the way we do it, they're not even round a ring feeder. The hill's not a mess by the time you get round to the spring. Does it take them longer to reach weight? Uh, No. The cattle go up there are in good condition in November, December. And then they stay there until basically the day before they start calving. So they, they maintain their body condition throughout the winter with no concentrate whatsoever. Yeah, listening to this, Colin, it seems like unalloyed good news. There's bound to, there must be some pitfalls in there somewhere. Um, well, I suppose I suppose weather would be some of the pitfalls, I, I suspect. And also, too, I think Stuart's gone into it and he's tried it the first year, as he said, for two, two and a half months, and then he's just built up. So he's not gone head first into it. Over two or three years, he's found the system that works for him. Now, there could be pitfalls if you did go head first into it. And it's back to what we were saying earlier, you know, about getting your ducks in a line and just trying it if you're changing the system. But to be honest, it's a pretty simple system that seems to be working well at quit rigs. To be honest, if there were issues, that I think we would be saying it, but I don't think it's what we're surprised how well it's actually worked, I think, Stuart. Would you not, be, you not say? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because it, it's, a, it's a pretty exposed hill and there's just a, a wood at one side of it. And the only time they ever go near the shelter is if it's in basically pretty extreme weather. Every other time they just stay on their strip of grass. They, they need enough food to last them the day. They need to be ready for the next grass next morning. If you give them too much, you get waste and they, they start getting picky on what they're eating. They just need enough to satisfy them for the whole day. And by eight o'clock the next morning, they're sitting waiting on you, basically. And I don't think we've never had deep snow, so that might be a challenge if we had that for a month or six weeks of deep snow. I suspect that would be a challenge. And also, too, I suspect, Stuart, if you're really hard frost and you didn't have water, 
that might be a challenge, but Touchwood, we've been okay so far. Yeah, we've, we've managed to cope with a winter of pretty hard frosts. We've had to keep a close eye on, because on a hill there's spits of springs and whatnot that, that keep running, but you, you just need to keep a close eye on them to make sure nothing totally freezes over. But snow, snow and electric wire don't always go together, so you, you need to be pretty wary of that. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> are, are you making more forage now or less forage? Yeah, less. This summer is the first time we've, we've not even filled one silage pit and we've made more hay than silage. I would think, you know, maybe the only other thing that's maybe a negative, it could be in certain situations, but we're probably okay again at Whitrigs, is that, you know, if you've got cows and you've got sheds, you've got that fixed cost anyway. But luckily with the deer at Whitrigs, Stuart's managed to put the, put the sheds to other uses. You know, and I think the benefits of sheds and having FYM and slurry possibly, you know, could be a negative. But at the same time, I think the way that Stuart's working it now, being organic and the herbal lays and raising the cattle around some of these, I think we're probably okay. But in certain situations, you know, you've got you've got that fixed cost and it could be sitting there. What do you do with these sheds? Yeah, so some of them, like our, our young stock, are housed for 10 weeks each winter. So they, they're still used to a certain extent for those. They're a lot thinner on the ground, the cattle, when they're in. Some are for deer, some are just extra sheds and we don't yeah we've got no intention of building any more sheds now so and to be fair the cattle are probably quite tight when they were in previously yeah especially at certain times of year they were yeah they were they were getting pretty tight so basically going back to the very beginning of this at our monitor farm program you know when you had a look at this you had resources you weren't using that you could basically adapt, modify, you, you, you could make yourselves more efficient. That, obviously, as you said earlier, Colin, is not going to be the case with every single farm, but some form of modification must be possible. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, for if you're looking at cutting costs, I think the first thing is to know your costs and to, you know, as Stuart said, we're in a bit of benchmarking, so we kind of knew how parts of the business were performing. As you said, he knew what his bills were, but he didn't really know where they were going. And so I think that's the first thing to look at. And I think when you do that and do a little bit of benchmarking and go through your, your figures in detail, you'll try and get some of the, you know, look at the big costs to start with and see if there's a way to trim them and also look at if there's any easy wins. Um, you know, if there's things that look completely out compared to other businesses, you can you know, address them first. But I don't think, you know, when you go to you know, cost-cutting strategies, there's no silver bullets here. You've just got to look at the business as a whole. And then when you're looking at the cattle enterprises, you know, what, what resources have you got? What alternatives would you live? How else could you feed them? I think one of the big things for this winter is definitely don't carry any passengers. There's no point carrying anything that's not productive. It'd be quite hard when you're culling just to make sure that you're not taking these extra beasts through the, through the winter. I think the decisions you make depend on your individual farm location, probably the farming system, the soil types that you've got, also to the weather. They're all, they're all pretty important. There's definitely opportunities, but nothing changes quickly, especially with cattle. So you've got to plan ahead, research it well. I think what Stuart said there was quite important. He said, you know, a lot of research and a lot of YouTubing and going on and seeing what other people are doing. And then he tried it. And for two and a half months, the first year, and then just really it worked. So you built from there. And sometimes things won't work, but I think we've just got to keep looking at, you know, how we might just tweak our systems. 
Going back to the vision of the community group originally, Stuart, have you managed to maintain a profit? Uh, yes, yeah, we have. In real terms, we've, we've doubled a profit. Wow. I think that question, Mark, is really good because I don't think actually when a vision for the, from the, the community group and the business and the, sorry, the management group and the monitor farm, but I don't think we, any of us expected the monitor farm to go the way it went. You know, we were sheep, cattle, quite traditional. And just being part of that group and having the, I suppose, the confidence to make the changes. And the biggest change in the monitor farm was Stuart and his mindset and his, you know, looking at opportunities. We had sheep at the monitor farm, but I'm not entirely sure you love sheep, Stuart. And we had some health issues there. So then we looked at deer. And now, and you've got to be passionate about whatever, you, whatever you're doing. And so Stuart was passionate about the deer and took it on, done the research. And then we went down the deer route and then the, we looked at organic the management group thought organic might be an opportunity just to be that again back the resources we've got at Denham Hill and at um, Whitrigs so I think you know the, the monitor farm over the three years evolved but I don't think we expected to be where we are now Stuart did we? No 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 we we just thought at the beginning that we're doing fairly well and like tweaks here and there would lift our margins but yeah how wrong we were is it again this is maybe a completely stupid question you, you you looked at your model you doubled your profitability is there any slack for looking left in the system for going looking again and seeing if you can prove even further well at the time we didn't think there was slack to to give and then we managed to find quite a big gap so yeah, currently I don't know if there is much more to to give on the cattle front, but you're keeping an open mind. Yeah, we keep keep looking at it because cattle aren't really getting aren't worth any more than what they were, uh, but costs have went through the roof across the country. So we just got to keep our costs as low and keep the the margin in the middle as as big as possible. And also, I think it will be that once you make these big. Well, the big wins, I suspect, is what we're talking about, Mark. And, you know, we've changed the cattle system, but it'll be incremental, small incremental wins. And it'll be, yeah, there'll still be improvements to be made, I suspect, but it'll just be smaller. And then, you know, on, on the, as a business, I suspect, too, Stuart, you know, which freed up a lot of time for you guys to do other stuff and probably make savings. But I know the fabricating and fencing and all the stuff you've done yourselves, you know, if you were in the traditional system you had four or five years ago, would you be the time to, do the stuff you do now and, and save the money that you save. I think the other thing that's pretty critical in Whitrigs is, you know, labour and labour across, you know, in the industry is a challenge to find people. They're just not there. So I think there's probably a big saving there in terms of the time it takes to do everything. And back to what Stuart said earlier, we're not burning fuel. Just one last point, and again, it's just suddenly occurred to me, you know, that, you know, in the old days, Stuart, of a winter's morning, You'd have come out of your nice warm kitchen, walked across the yard into the sheds, and it was nice and warm and steamy in there and what have you, and smelling nicely of cattle. And now they're miles away up on a hillside and, you know, getting blasted by wind and rain. Is it tougher for you or easier? Well, it's dad that does them. He's expendable, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> He's quite happy in his buggy touring the hill. But um, there's very few days when you go up onto the hill and you're absolutely battered and bruised by the weather. It's absolutely amazing when you're up there and the cows are so content and it 
Yeah, it's something I look forward to every morning without sounding too soppy, but it, it is. It's You see all the cattle lined up eating their bale that's rolled out and you're quite happy being there. And uh, it probably takes you longer because you sit about uh, rather than having to... We've not got a, a winter routine. Like It used to take us... It used to take me four hours every single morning to feed and bed cattle. And it now takes dad basically an hour and me an hour. And that's doing all the cattle and all the deer. It sounds like an incredibly positive experience. Stuart Mitchell and Colin McPhail, thank you both for speaking to me. Thank you. Okay, thank you. This has been a QMS podcast. I'm Mark Stephen. I hope you found this useful. Thank you for listening to the Quality Meat Scotland podcast. For news and to listen back to previous episodes of the podcast, visit qmscotland.co.uk. For Scotch beef, Scotch lamb and specially selected pork recipe videos and inspiration, visit www.scotchkitchen.com or follow Scotch Kitchen on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.